Hello, and welcome to this podcast installment of Theology on Tap. Theology on Tap is a monthly gathering where young adults in the St. Louis area socialize and learn about topics relevant to Catholic young adults. We hope you enjoy this edition of the Theology on Tap podcast. Thank you for helping us build a home for Catholic young adults in St. Louis. Uh, so, I uh, have some Irish heritage in me. Um, anybody else? Okay. And uh, the Irish have a reputation for really loving their alcohol, specifically whiskey and beer. Um, I tend to be a little bit more of a beer guy. Uh, so, I'd like to start off with a couple jokes for you about the Irish and beer. So, the first joke is. Uh, this, uh, an Englishman, a German, and an Irishman, they walk into a bar and they each order a pint of Guinness. And as soon as the bartender sets down the pints of Guinness, a fly lands in each of the beers. So the Englishman is repulsed and he pushes the beer away and says, I need another beer, this is disgusting. And the German guy, he pulls out the fly and he takes a big swig of beer. The Irishman uh, very carefully fishes out the fly holds it above the pint and says, spit it out, it's my beer. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. Um, and then, uh, here's, my, here's my other joke for you. Uh, there's, uh, there's this Irishman, and uh, all of a sudden he starts showing up at this bar every Saturday night at 8 p.m., and he orders three pints of Guinness, he drinks them, and then he leaves. And every Saturday night, he does this at 8 p.m. He orders three pints of Guinness, he drinks all three of them, and then he leaves. And the bartender is a little bit curious and says, at one point, uh, you know, it's an interesting ritual that you have, what's the deal? And he goes, well, actually, I have uh, two brothers, and one of my brothers moved to Australia, and the other one moved to the United States. And we always enjoyed having a Guinness together, so now instead of having a Guinness together, we all get together at our respective locations, 8 o'clock on Saturday nights, wherever we're at, we each drink three beers. I drink one for myself and one in honor each of my brothers, and we leave. And it makes us feel close, like we're still drinking together, even though we're in different places. And the bartender says, you know, that's a really cool ritual. I like that. And it continues every Saturday night at 8 o'clock until one week, the guy shows up at 8 o'clock, he orders two pints of Guinness, he drinks them, and he leaves. A week later, he shows up at 8 p.m., drinks two pints of Guinness, and leaves, and does it a third time. And the third time, uh, the bartender uh, walks up to the gentleman and says, listen, um, I don't know what happened, but I just want to offer my condolences. Uh, apparently, one of your brothers must have passed away. And the Irishman says, well, actually, no, that didn't happen. My brothers are fine. Of the three of us, I'm the only one who's Catholic, and I gave up beer for Lent. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So, I, uh, when I informed one of my brothers-in-law, who's not uh, really into his faith, that I was going to be speaking at an event called Theology on Tap, which he had never heard before, um, the first question that he asked me is if there's going to be a drinking game involved. And so I thought, why not? Let's do it. All right, so playing is optional. Uh, I would encourage everybody, of course, to be responsible. But if you're down with it, 
any time from this point forward in my talk that I say the word beer, um, I would encourage you, welcome you if you want, to take a sip of your beer or your wine or your water or your chocolate milk, whatever you're drinking. Um, and uh, for me, I'm, I, I plan on playing. I'm probably going to alternate uh, between beer uh, and water just so I can be coherent uh, in this talk. Um, I want to make it very clear, no peer pressure, because I'm way too old to be considered a peer to all of you. That's not funny, <laughs> but thanks for laughing. Uh, so the official uh, title of my talk tonight, as you may have heard advertised, is The Theology of Drinking. But I hope you don't mind if I focus my attention primarily upon beer. Since it, of all the varieties of alcohol, tends to be my favorite, it's what I know best, and it's what most of you are drinking. And I'll trust that you can make any needed parallels between uh, what I say about beer and your preferred beverage of choice. Uh, as some of you may know, uh, and some of you may not, but the Catholic Church actually has an official blessing for beer, which is amazing. <clears throat> True story, in the 1964 edition of the Roman Ritual, which is one of the Catholic Church's official books of prayers and rituals, there's a section called The Blessing of Things Designated for Ordinary Use. And among the many rituals that are listed in the Roman Ritual are blessings for pastries, medicine, cheese, fire, seeds, airplanes, and more, including beer. So before I go any further, I'd like to call up my friend, uh, Father Ray Bueller. He's going to be assisted by seminarian Joe Detweiler. Uh, so if, if you both could come on up, please. And uh, Father Bueller is going to lead us in this rite of, of uh, a blessing for beer. Yes, it's right here. And uh, actually, Joe, I appreciate you being volunteered. No, 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 we need you. Um, you're you're going to carry it around. So there is a response. And then uh, as Father Bueller uh, moves among the crowd and blesses us, an appropriate response would be making the sign of the cross. Don't worry, he's not going to water down your beverage too much. All right. It's uh, Father Bueller's wrapping it up. Could you give that priest a round of applause? And uh, my understanding is that he's going to be leaving pretty quickly to go to the Cardinals game tonight. Um, that's what I heard. Um, but next time you see him out in public, somebody buy that priest a beer. Now, some people might wonder and think it's kind of strange. Why would the Catholic Church have a blessing for beer? Well, it's because it's an awesome part of God's creation, and it's given to us as a gift for human enjoyment. The subtitle, and believe it or not, the theological framework for my talk tonight is from a country western song that some of you may know. The chorus is, God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy, that's right. Um, so we'll be, we're going to be talking about those things. God is great, and I hope you know that. 
Um, God loves us more than we could possibly imagine. And the one who created the universe, the one who created everything out of nothing, wants to be my friend and wants to be your friend. And that's really an amazing thing. God considers us, each one of us, more attractive and more interesting than the most attractive or interesting person could be to any one of us. We're more stunning to God than the most beautiful thing you might have ever seen in creation. And that is a really cool thing. And the God who created everything wants to be our friend. Now, um, it's equally true that we're all sinners. We're all capable of doing horrible, hurtful, painful things. But the thing about Catholics is that we generally don't like to start there when we talk theology. We tend to start with original goodness, and the reason we do that is because that's where God started. God started with original goodness. He created all of us good. And anything that God creates and anything that God inspires people to create um, has the potential to be used for very good purposes. One of the things St. Ambrose says is that we have been given sacred scripture so that God and man may talk together. For when we speak to him, we pray, and we hear him when we read the divine saying. Uh, which, so since we hear God when we read sacred scripture, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about some of the great things that scripture has to say about how good alcohol, how good um, drinking can be, and that support my premise that beer is good. Ever since Jesus turned water into wine at the marriage of Cana in Galilee, the Catholic Church has supported the enjoyment of alcohol as long as it's done responsibly and in moderation. So I want, to, I want you to check this out from the Gospel of John, chapter 2. Um, and you can just read along as I recite this. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. When the wine ran short, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, how does your concern me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servers, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish ceremonial washings, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it. And when the head waiter tasted the water that had become wine, without knowing where it had come from, although the servers who had drawn the water knew, the head, water, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves good wine first, and then when people have drunk freely, an inferior one, but you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this at the beginning of his signs in Canaan and Galilee, so revealed his glory, and his disciples began to believe in him. This is the word of the Lord. Now, just a few personal reflections on that verse. You might have your own, but Jesus and his mom and his disciples were at a wedding where there was wine. They ran out of it, which means that people were drinking it, right? Uh, Jesus' mom noticed that they ran out of wine and thought something should be done about that. So at the prompting of his mother, Jesus turned somewhere between 120 and 180 gallons of water into wine. That's a lot of wine by any party's standards, right? 
Um, and this was the first miracle that Jesus did, and he did it at the request of his mom. And it was good wine. It wasn't that ratchet stuff. It was the good stuff. And because of this miracle, which revealed his glory, the disciples began to believe in him. If someone turned that much water into that much wine at a party that I was at, I would believe. And I would consider it glorious, too. Once, Pope Francis was giving a homily on this particular passage, and he commented that wine is necessary for the celebration. That's from the Huffington Post, so you know it's legit. Um, <laughs> here are a couple more verses that affirm that alcohol is good. Stop drinking only water, but have a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart because it is now that God favors your works. And you make the grass grow for the cattle and plants for people's work to bring forth food from the earth, wine to gladden their hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread to sustain the human heart. And check this one out. Give strong drink to anyone who is perishing and wine to the embittered. When they drink, they will forget their misery and think no more of their troubles. Now, on a personal note, I want to say that that last verse, although we might look at it flippantly, it kind of touches my heart because when my father-in-law, Bob, uh, was dying, when he was in hospice dying of cancer, he really wasn't interested in drinking water, but he loved when his family gathered around him um, on, his, on his deathbed and would share a beer with him. And it made him, and it kind of made us, forget about our troubles for a while. And um, I often think of him when I have a beer, and I actually believe that he, from his privileged place in heaven, might even be praying for us right now. Finally, the Bible clearly states that Jesus didn't just turn water into wine as a miracle, but that he himself drank alcohol. For John came neither drinking and they said he is possessed by a demon the son of man came eating and drinking and they said look he is a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners Jesus never did anything bad everything that Jesus did was good and Jesus drank so we Catholics would never say that drinking is bad for the reasons that I just mentioned as well as the undeniable fact that Jesus chose wine as the substance to transform into his precious blood at the Last Supper and at every Mass since then, every time we celebrate the Eucharist. Now, Catholics believe that not, God not only speaks to us through the scriptures, but through the living tradition of the church, uh, through the lives of the saints and other holy people, and I'm going to quote some of them right now. If you Google patron saints of beer... You will find many, actually. But three of my favorites are St. Arnold of Metz, St. Columbanus, and St. Bridget. One of the legends of St. Arnold of Metz is that during an outbreak of the plague, he persuaded people to drink beer in place of water. And this quote is attributed to him, don't drink the water, drink beer. <laughs> now, the reason... He said that is because the water was actually infected with all kinds of toxins at the time, 
And if you would drink the water, you would get dysentery and potentially die. So um, actually what happened is when people followed his advice, the plague disappeared. He also said, from man's sweat and God's love, beer came into the world. Here's another legend of St. Arnold. In the year 641, the citizens of the town that he was from, Metz, uh, his body had been buried in another place, and they wanted his body brought to a church in the town of Metz. And during the journey, what happened is the tired people stopped for a rest, and they walked into a nearby ta uh, tavern to get a drink of their favorite beverage. Sadly, there was only one mug of beer to be shared. Can you imagine if we showed up here tonight and there was only one mug of beer to be shared? That would be a tragedy. And it was for those people. And so what happened, one of the parishioners prayed this prayer. By his powerful intercession, the blessed Arnold will bring us what we lack. And that one mug never ran dry. All of the thirsty pilgrims were satisfied. And this is actually the miracle for which St. Arnold was canonized as a saint. <laughs> you can clap for that. That's good. <clears throat> Another saint, uh, St. Columbanus, I think I'm pronouncing it properly. He was a missionary to the Germans. And what happened is he came upon uh, a group of pagans and they were getting ready to make a sacrifice of a large tub full of beer in their midst and he asked them what what are you going to do with that beer and they said that it was an offering to their god what saint columbus did is he blew upon the tub and immediately it burst into splinters and with a great noise all of the beverage was spilled now some of you might think that's a mortal sin wasting beer And normally it would be. But in this particular case, what St. Columbanus went on to say to the pagans is he said, God loves ale, but only when drunk in his name. He told them to forsake their superstitions, return to the faith. Many were converted and baptized. St. Columbanus is also known for saying, it is my design to die in the brew house. Let ale be placed to my mouth when I'm expiring, so that when the choir of angels come to me, they may say, God, may God be propitious, which means favorable. I had to look it up. Uh, <laughs> may God be propitious uh, to this drinker. I can think of far worse places to die than in a brew house with ale on my lips. Anyone else? All right, good. Um, now, on to my favorite patron saint of beer, my favorite. She is the best-known Irish saint after St. Patrick, St. Bridget of Ireland, who is a generous, beer-loving woman. One of the things she did is she actually worked in the leper colony, which one day found itself without beer. And so what she did is she changed their bath water into an excellent beer. She is also said to have changed her own dirty bath water into beer so that the visiting clergy would have something to drink when they visited her. <laughs> Sounds like a little bit of a practical joke. I don't know. I think, I think that's pretty amazing. Um, and then, uh, 
Apparently, uh, she provided beer to 18 churches for an entire Easter season, all from one single barrel that was in her convent. My personal favorite gift of St. Bridget of Ireland to the world, I believe, is this uh, poem that's attributed to her where she envisions heaven as a place of infinite hospitality and pleasure in which people join with the saints and even God in drinking good health throughout eternity. So follow along with me. I should like a great lake of beer. We got it? Good. To give to God. I should like the angels of heaven to, heaven to be tippling there for all eternity. I should like the men of heaven to live with me, to dance and sing. If they wanted, I'd put at their disposal vats of suffering. White cups of love I'd give them with a heart and a half. Sweet pitchers of mercy I'd offer to every man. I'd make heaven a cheerful spot because the happy heart is true. I'd make men happy for their own sakes. I should like Jesus to be there too. I'd like the people of heaven to gather from all the parishes around. I'd give a special welcome to the women, the three Marys of great renown. I'd sit with the men, the women of God, there by the great lake of beer. We'd be drinking good health forever, and every drop would be a prayer. Now, I want to be very, very clear about something, that St. Bridget's view or her vision of heaven does not imply that heaven is going to be some stereotypical, out-of-control college party where people are doing keg stands and bonging their favorite bottom shelf beverages, okay? That's, that's not it. Because she talks about vats of suffering. She talks about our need for mercy. She talks about white cups of love. And actually, that's a reference to, during those times, the religious made great sacrifices, uh, personal sacrifices to express their love to God and to kind of purify their hearts. But her vision does reflect, actually, some biblical images that we've been given of the kingdom of heaven, like this one from Isaiah. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will provide for all peoples a feast of rich food and choice wines, rich food and pure choice wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the veil that veils all people, the web that is woven over all nations. He will destroy death forever. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces. So perhaps enjoying one's favorite beverage might in some small way be a foretaste of heaven. I hope by this point we can all agree that God is great and beer is good. I mean, here's even a picture of Pope Benedict XVI <laughs> having a cold one with his friends at his recent 90th birthday party. Now, that's a pretty big mug of beer. And if you know anything about him, he's really good friends with Pope Francis, so you know he didn't waste any of it. Just saying. Now, it's time to move on and talk a little bit about how people are crazy. In some good ways, and in some ways that are not so good and can potentially cause problems. I'm going to start with the not so good ways that people can be crazy and how alcohol can contribute and amplify that not so good craziness. I've known people, and I bet you've known people, and I bet some of you might be people who have done crazy, stupid, hurtful, 
irresponsible and even criminal things while under the influence of excessive amounts of alcohol. Raise your hand if you've ever seen that, right? We've all seen it. We've seen it in the, maybe in our own lives and in the lives of people that we know. Now, even if you've never done anything crazy, stupid under the influence of alcohol, the fact is we're all sinners. Just to verify that statement, raise your hand if you have ever sinned, if you've ever done anything wrong. If you're not raising your hand, you're lying. That's a sin. That's wrong. Join the crowd. Cool. Now, um, this, is, this is kind of a big deal. And for this reason, the Catholic Church always, always, always encourages us to exercise the virtue of temperance when we drink. Because although drinking is not a sin, drunkenness is. Uh, as G.K. Chesterton said, said very succinctly, we should thank God for beer and burgundy. Oh, sorry. Forgot. Yeah, beer. We should thank God for beer and burgundy by not drinking too much of them. And this is not just Chesterton's opinion. This is backed up by the scriptures and by the teachings of the church. So there's just a couple verses I want to hit you with from God's word that encourage us to be temperate and about the dangers of drunkenness. Let us conduct, conduct ourselves becomingly as in the day, not in reveling in drunkenness. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. And from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, this one's pretty heavy, hang with me, there are a great many kinds of sins. Scripture provides several lists of them. The letter to the Galatians contrasts the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. Now the works of the flesh are plain, fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, selfishness, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the like. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Whoa. So what is drunkenness exactly? Well, I think we, we all know it when we see it, but I want to give you a legal definition. Drunkenness is a consequence of drinking intoxicating liquors to such an, an extent as to alter the normal condition of an individual and significantly reduce his or her capacity for rational action and conduct. Though some people may suggest, and I've heard it suggested before, that a good guide to avoid uh, the sin of drunkenness is uh, one beverage an hour, and especially to alternate that with a glass of wine. That's not necessarily 100%. Uh, I meant to say water. <laughs> Can, uh, can we delete that from the recording? That was an accident. <laughs> I meant to say all with water. All right, I really did. <laughs> Just having a little too much fun tonight. All right. <clears throat> but what will get an individual drunk is not necessary. It's dependent upon a bunch of things. So I just want to cite those real quickly. Um, uh, it, it's dependent upon age, gender, rate of consumption, obviously, the strength of your drink, um, your body type, the amount of fat and muscle that you have, your metabolism, how hydrated you are, your emotional state, other medications that you might be taking, food consumption, carbonation, alcohol tolerance, and your overall health. So it's pretty personal how much will get any individual person drunk. If you Google signs of intoxication, there's some really good lists that I discovered in doing my research for this talk. 
but most sober people are pretty good at recognizing when someone else is drunk, right? You'll notice as the legal definition states, significantly reduced capacity for rational action and conduct. Now, one of the problem, problems is we can all be really good at deceiving ourselves, especially when alcohol is involved in the mix. And a lot of people who are drunk, and especially too drunk to drive, don't think they're too drunk to drive. Perhaps you've seen that. So we need to be really cautious here. For this reason, I really appreciate how much in today's world people are taking advantage of sober drivers, taxis, Uber, party monitors. I also appreciate how many people are going out in groups when they drink um, and making a serious effort to keep an eye on their friends because we really are capable of self-deception in a lot of areas, especially this one. Here's one more quote from the catechism on this topic. The virtue of temperance disposes us to avoid every kind of excess, the abuse of alcohol, the abuse of food, alcohol, tobacco, or medicine. Those incur grave guilt who, by drunkenness or a love of speed, endanger their own and others' safety on the road, at sea, or in the air. So the catechism is saying that it's especially problematic and especially sinful when we put ourselves and we put other people's lives in danger. We can do this by our own actions. We can do this by our inactions. Countless people have been too drunk to know that a friend is too drunk to drive and have not really been able to be there to protect somebody. This is why the Lord wants our wits about us at all times, so that we can take care of ourselves, but also so that we can take care of the people around us that we really love. It's really about loving other people well. A few more cautions about drinking. One is motivation. It's important to look at motivation. Why do you drink? If it's for moderate enjoyment, that's one thing. But if it's, it's you do it to escape or to numb out. That's always a problem. Not only is it dangerous, but it doesn't work to drink, to escape, or numb out. As the great band U2 once said, I was drowning my sorrows. My sorrows, they learned to swim. So to get drunk to escape a problem adds problems to your problems. And that's a problem. We need to make sure that we deal with our problems in ways that are healthy and functional and never drown them out. Here, once again, I would like to quote the wisdom of G.K. Chesterton, a great Catholic thinker. I love this quote. It's one of my faves. Drink because you are happy, but never because you are miserable. Never drink when you are wretched without it, but drink when you would be happy without it. Never drink because you need it, for this is rational drinking and the way to death and hell. But drink because you do not need it, for this is irrational drinking and the ancient health of the world. I love how he defines rational and irrational drinking. By the way, it kind of stops and makes me think. Also, there are some, some among us who shouldn't drink or who should abstain for a season. And this would be God's plan for some of us. If you're a recovering alcoholic, you shouldn't drink. If there's a family history of alcohol abuse, be careful because you may have a genetic predisposition that would put you in a really bad place potentially in your life. Um, I also think there can be a great benefit for those of us who really enjoy adult beverages to abstain for a season. For example, during Lent or as a form of fasting and to ensure ourselves and our loved ones that we really don't have a problem. 
I have a really good friend, um, and she would frequently tell this story, and it's one of my favorites, that her dad was a really uh, kind of a, a wild and crazy Irishman who loved his adult beverages. Um, and he would usually have one or two every night, but he, every year he gave up beer for Lent. And my friend said, what I loved about my dad doing that is it helped me as a teenager know that it wasn't a problem for him, that he could live without it, and that he had control over his drinking instead of the other way around, right? And I just think that's a real cool thing to keep in mind. The scriptures also, and this will be the, the last uh, scripture about the dangers, um, they, they speak about the danger of leading other people into sin through behavior of ours that may not be sinful for us. This is really fascinating. Check out this verse from Romans. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for one to make others fall by what he eats. It is not right to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother stumble. I would hope that the meaning of this verse is really obvious. If we have a friend or a relative who struggles with abusing alcohol or is a recovering alcoholic, it would be the charitable thing to not drink in their presence, to not throw parties with alcohol that they're invited to so as to not make them stumble. We're responsible to be good examples, especially to people who are struggling or weak, and I think we should keep that in our minds at all times. Now, People are crazy. Some people are going through some crazy stuff, and everybody has a story. So we have a responsibility, if we do drink, to look out for one another. But people are also crazy in some amazing and very cool ways. As many of us know, having an adult beverage with friends can be a tremendous experience, as many of us know. You may be experiencing that tonight. I certainly hope so. What happens here at Theology on Tap? And at other theology on taps throughout our state and throughout the nation can be powerfully inspirational, life-changing, because let's face it, there are a lot of people who might refuse an invitation to go to church or to go to a Bible study who might come to something like this, because hanging out over alcohol is not really threatening for most of us. Um, so I just love that, and I hope that you'll be considering as you move forward who you might be able to invite to this event in the future. I know of a young man who started a Bible study at his fraternity in college, and uh, I believe that a lot of guys showed up to that Bible study because they knew that beer would be served at the end of the Bible study. I'm part of a men's prayer group, and after our meetings... Uh, are done, we all, almost always, whoever wants to, has uh, an adult beverage. And we've had some incredible post-meeting conversations about silly stuff, but about really serious stuff over an adult beverage. To paraphrase St. Thomas Aquinas, grace builds upon nature, and part of our nature is that many of us are attracted to an ice-cold, frosty beer. Now, if you're a literary nerd like me, perhaps you've heard of a group called the Inklings, a very informal but very influential uh, literary group, and they met in pubs in Oxford, England. This group was known for mixing like high-end uh, energy literary discussions with pints of beer. This group included two of the 20th century's most popular fiction writers, J.R.R. Tolkien, 
a Catholic, who wrote The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings trilogy. And C.S. Lewis was also one of the Inklings. He wrote The Chronicles of Narnia, Mere Christianity, and some other great works. When the Inklings got together over pints, they would read and discuss each other's work. And uh, G.K. Chesterton, who I've quoted a few times tonight, um, is known to have attended some of these meetings as well. Now, C.S. Lewis was the driving force behind the Inklings, and he described the group this way. We smoked, talked, argued, and drank together. G.K. Chesterton once wrote that in Catholicism, the pint, the pipe, and the cross can all fit together. And there's something really cool and perhaps a little bit scandalous about that quote. But it's also really, really human. We all live in such a busy, crazy, fast-paced world. And there's something wonderful and relaxing about the social experience of sitting down, having a drink, and sharing life with friends that can refresh your soul. As Hilaire Belloc wrote, and I'll close with this, wherever the Catholic sun doth shine, there's always laughter and good red wine. At least I've always found it so. Benedicamos Domino, which means let us bless the Lord. Cheers.